All right, we are live. Hi everyone, I'm very excited to interview Brittany Holmes, design technologist at HMC Architects. I got to know about Brittany last year at AEC Tech Hackathon at TT. And one thing I really liked was like, we totally resonated on the computational design aspect and I must commend Brittany for organizing the first architecture hackathon so it, it's great. Brittany is always pushing the boundary in this field. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And like you said, I got to meet you last year at the um, AC Tech uh, Hackathon. And it was I think that was my first time getting to meet you and see like what you're all about and your energy and how active you are on Discord and so many other platforms. And I kind of it just opened up my eyes to what we can do and how we can connect with others, which is amazing because for so long, I always felt like there was something I wanted more in architecture. Um, but where is that? And who are these people? And, you know, and then you start finding people and you're like, oh, my gosh, you're, you're amazing. Like, I, I love the language you speak. And um, yeah, so I was really happy to do that. And then you both joined HMC Architects First Hackathon. And that was such an amazing opportunity getting to um, have uh, HMC leadership's uh, support in that and um, just letting us try it, you know, and it was it was awesome. So thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You both are incredible. <laughs> thank you. So Brittany, can you talk us about your background, where you, grew, where you grew up and out of all things you can do in life, why you chose architecture? <laughs> Yes, I actually love this story because it brings up my my dad. Uh, my dad's a general contractor, and or at least he was, he's retired now. Um, and him and my mom ran a construction company. And so when I was really little, I would go to these, because uh, he, he only did framing. So I'd go to the job sites and I would just see all this like construction. And my mind just started going, well, what if we change that? Or what what, what would someone do in this space? And I was just always so curious and I think it was just a part of me and that was um and I guess I told my mom when I was eight years old I was like I want to be an architect um I probably didn't even know how to spell that I didn't really know the extent of it but um that's what I wanted and so um after high school I went to college I went to Woodbury University in Burbank and so it was nice because I grew up in Ventura County so that's Southern California and um and Burbank isn't that far so I was still able to stay connected with my family and um, and dive into the world of architecture and school is not what I was expecting. I kind of heard it was like super hardcore and like really, really rigorous and they, they kind of ease you into it. You know, like the first and second year, you're just kind of getting your feet wet. And then third year is make or break fourth and fifth year. You know, you really get to start developing your language. And at the end of that, I became really interested in networks and systems and how do you exploit that? And I'll show you um, in a little bit of why I went and chose the AA, but um, yeah, that's that's my like academic and where I grew up. And then professionally, I kind of fell into theme entertainment and theme entertainment is incredible because for me, what the reason why I'm, I absolutely love it is because it's so provocative. You go to Disneyland or Universal and you see families of four 
connecting. You see people coming out of rides like so hyped or freaked out or, you know, and you're like, that's so amazing because you out of a few people, you know, and it does take a huge team to make the, to pull off um, those type of um, attractions, but uh, it's just amazing to have that connection. And again, it's like, it brings it back to the human element, you know, like, why are we doing this? And for me, it, it always is about that relationship and connecting with people and facilitating knowledge. And, um, and so I really focused on that until I had the opportunity to go to the AA. And that's where some of those deeper passions of mine were able to be explored, you know, as far as um, how do you, where do you find data platforms? Where, how do you integrate those sources? How do you, how do you take numbers and make them into architecture? I have no idea. What does that even mean? Um, and again, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about how I um, started to learn that language. Cause like I was saying, I always kind of felt a little bit removed in terms of what I was interested in. Cause everybody else was like, oh, I'm going to get into um, development or I'm going to, um, I just want to, I want to be the best architect I can. And I was like, me too. And then I got into it and I was like, okay, I figured out the system. Like I get it. You know, <laughs> there, you have your interns, you have your, you know, principals and then everything in between. And it's very hierarchical and the conversations weren't enough, you know, and that's, that's more in terms of, um, my, like capital A architecture experience. Um, and so I, after I graduated from Woodbury, I worked for about five years um, and then I went back and that's, uh, that's when things changed. I see, that's quite interesting. I was wondering like, how has your uh, design approach or perspective before A and after A has changed? Like what's the main difference? Yeah, you know, I don't, to be very honest with you, I don't feel like I had a strong um, uh, voice in design because when you do theme entertainment, the IP is not your own. You don't you don't sit there and sketch things. Well, you do, but it, at the end of the day, you're serving a single purpose, and that outcome has to be a product of X, Y, and Z. You know, so it's not like I'm collaborating with a bunch of incredible architects and we're we're like doing this bottom up approach to design. It's like, no, you have, it's very prescribed. So you have your queue, you have your, you know, you have all these transitional spaces until you get to the actual uh, dark ride. And then people go through retail, they exit, and then they either do it again or they find something new. Um, for me, I thought it was absolutely fantastic because there's so much science that's built into you know, kind of human thinking, you know, like what's that proximity between someone walking down Main Street in Disneyland and their proximity to a food cart or, um, or something like that. And so for me, it, it that was always so satisfying. Um, and there's so many different calculations, like how many people you can get through a dark ride and then how much, you know, how does that translate into profitability and the guest experience? And um, so that's, I learned that. And so I knew there was, I don't know, it, it was more technical, I guess. And then, mm -hmm. and then a lot of it is production. So I was learning how to put together construction sets and how to communicate and harvest those relationships with the clients and make sure you're like, I got you, we have this, we're going to do this and we're going to do the best we can. And, um, and so a lot of that was more that. And then when I went to the AA, I was able just to kind of like get quiet and listen because the people at MTech specifically are incredible and so brilliant. And um, 
I just needed to listen. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And and then when I came home, I to me, I was able to come home with a better understanding on how to approach design using scientific method. Um, and then I started to get to develop what I thought that was and then how that kind of looked in professional sense. Um, so actually when I came back from the A, I, um, I got back into theme entertainment. And so I was doing a dark ride and it was really, really fun, um, but a new opportunity came up at HNC and that's where my voice really got to take off. So I joined them at the beginning of 2020 and they're incredible because they're all about um, designing for good. And I think that there's so many different scales to that. So, um, you know, even just like this, like that, that connection on a human scale, and then how do we serve our communities through building and uh, construction? And then, you know, there's so many other initiatives that people are doing at HMC as far as um, facilitating uh, design technology and software to people who need it. You know, and, and so there's so many different scales and that's why it's just such an amazing opportunity to work there specifically in digital practice. Um, because as you both saw, we got to do the hackathon. So it's not just, we're not just putting together um, design documentation and we're not just focusing on automating and making um, design technology available to people. It's, it's more than that, you know, it, it, really, it really dives into that designing for good. So, I don't know. I see. <laughs> That's, that's great. And I was wondering when you were describing that there's also like a lot of psychological aspect which one needs to put into like, how is the journey in, in those theme spaces? And yeah. how do you engineer that? Like, Well, a lot of it depends on people. I mean, the experts within theme entertainment have been doing this for a long time. Um, they understand different efficiencies uh, they understand they, so that a lot of that insight and knowledge is kind of trickled down. Um, and so again, you just listen, right? <laughs> you go, okay, I need to learn here. And, um, and then, it, I mean, when you're a part of that, that's the language that's communicated. So you're talking about throughput, you're talking about, um, you know, like a lot of it is life and safety. So when you have a lot of people going through small spaces, like those queue lines, they have to be a certain, uh, width. So like, it might sound silly or simple, but it, it, it comes down to one, making sure they're having an amazing time, but if anything happens, they're safe, they're okay, they're taken care of, and, um, and just really, really owning that as an architect. Um, so, yeah. Got it. And so, how can you uh, elaborate on like, how is the application procedure at A? So you are in states, you applied it, like what are the things you had to prepare for? Yeah, um, so the MTech website is great because it literally breaks down all of that. So maybe we could put like a link in the, the chat after, but um, what I did is I, I think it's 75 pounds uh, for the application. Um, and then you write out all your credentials and then a letter of intent and you just keep your fingers crossed. You're like, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I wrote my letter, um, and I just laid it out. I was like, I, I really, really want this. And I actually had a little bit, uh, or I met Michael Wayne, Wayne stock in Spain when I was studying abroad and I'll go into it a little bit more, but, um, that's, that's how I knew about the AA. 
um, I think it's extremely unique, especially as far as the dynamics. Because when you grow up in the States, um, the you get a syllabus and then your teachers, your, your like final say authority, there's deadlines and there's not a lot of interactivity, you know, or like opportunity to step in and really curate your experience. So um, at the AA, there's, you have a, a big voice, you know, you can really, um, you can speak up and you can, um, you can just really sculpt, you know, what you're looking for in the curriculum. Um, but yeah, so you send in your application, you write your letter of rec, you pay the fee, and then you wait. Um, and that's kind of my memory of that whole situation. <laughs> Got it. And uh, can you walk us through your A journey in detail? I know you have a, yeah. a good visuals lined up, so I can't wait. All right. <laughs> cool, thank you. Can you just give me a heads up that you see it? Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so my journey at the AA started with this man. <laughs> His name is Michael Wainstock. And um, for anyone who doesn't know him, he founded MTech at the AA. That happened in 2001. And, um, and he has a lot of design philosophy. And uh, this book specifically, The Architecture of Emergence, is what hooked me. Because when I was studying in Spain for my undergrad, uh, he we had the opportunity to attend uh, a lecture from him. And my professor at the time was like, we have to go. And I'm like, I want to go party. And he's like, no, we have to go. And we're like, okay, let's do it. So we went and um, Dr. McWinsack started talking about swarm theory and how you can quantify those systems and how that could end up sculpting urban design. And I'm going, what is this person talking about? I have to be a part of this. Like, and I was just instantly hooked because I felt like he was talking about bigger things than just concepts, you know, like I needed something more than, than just a narrative, you know? And I think that the, that narrative changed into a data story and then being able to really articulate design from a bottom-up approach using measurable items. And then that's when we get to quantify and um, integrate empirical information. So when he was talking about swarm theory, I was like, I have to be a part of this. So what that looked like is in, back in 2012, I started my professional career and then I wanted to get smarter. So that's when I went to the AA. Um, and then I came, after that, it was a year long program, which I'll get to a little bit in a minute. Then I started my, my um, uh, like the actual application of everything I learned at HMC Architects. And that was 2020. And then um, we'll get into it in a minute, but kind of where I see CDM being developed too. Um, specifically to the MTech program, there's two options. So you can either choose the MSc program or the MRC program. Um, the MSc program is 12 months. You are taught three courses and then you give a final dissertation that September or like the next September. Um, <clears throat> the MRC is 16 months. So this is something, or this is for somebody who wants to do, you know, the whole MSC structure, but then at the end of it, you would have kind of a product to take. So that means you would do your actual thesis design. Um, you would have your dissertation, you're gonna have uh, prototypes and you're gonna really be able to mock up a whole uh, piece. For me, and because of where I was at, I chose the MSc program. Um, that was specific because I already had five years of professional experience. I had 
um, a portfolio that showed uh, competency in putting together design sets. I kind of had a little bit of language um, as far as like what I thought design was and where I wanted to take design. So that's why I chose the MSC. I needed to get in there. I wanted to learn as much as I could about um, biomimicry and, you know, really diving into um, some of Dr. Michael's Winsock's theories and everything that um, he's been pushing. And then um, there's an amazing staff uh, like uh, Dr. Alif and Dr. Mohammed and Dr. Mullid. Uh, and it's just so funny because they're all doctors now. <laughs> <laughs> so much has happened since 2017. But um, yeah, it was just you're surrounded by incredible people. And what that looks like is within those three terms, you start with boot camp. So um, oh, uh, if anybody is interested in joining, just get on YouTube and start learning Grasshopper. Like if there, if you have no other resources, um, if like you don't have um, access to academia or professional training or anything, get on YouTube as soon as you can because there's so much free knowledge out there. Um, obviously you'll have to vet it and make sure that, you know, there's always better ways and whatnot, but just to get the core principles of how to do visual programming, um, it's, I feel like it's necessary. So I came in cold. I'll be very transparent. Um, I do not consider myself a technical person and I had to fight very hard to understand the surface of visual programming. Um, I know that uh, you guys are extremely well-versed in, you know, coding and like really hardcore um, computational design. But for me at that time, I was not prepared. And so bootcamp rattled me. It was so hardcore. Um, it was a two week workshop and the course supplemented with sub, uh, like seminars, tutorials, and that's where I really started to dive into parametric thinking, which is everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, digging into geometry, um, coming up with different material systems and what would be an appropriate technique for um, some of the ambitions within bootcamp. So um, ultimately what we wanted or what they wanted to see was a fabricated uh, model that came from a digital model. So you had to have parametric control, um, you were evaluating material behavior and so forth. So, um, and everybody's partnered up. So it's kind of nice. Like if you're weak in a certain area, then somebody may be stronger in another. So the person that I was partnered up for boot camp was very proficient in uh, Grasshopper. And that's, that's pretty much like what you'll need for, uh, for MTech. Um, obviously, if you're great at C Sharp or Python or something, then you can definitely use that to your advantage. But like the minimum is uh, Grasshopper. Um, so he really led in that. But uh, our our material assignment, because everybody gets a different geometry that they have to accomplish, and they also get a different material. So we had to do like a torus, the donut, um, and we had to make it out of wood. And because it's in compression, the wood kept splitting. So we had to rationalize the geometry to accommodate those material properties. So it's just it's just a really a great way to kick off um, MTech. And then um, and then we have design and technology. And those are seminars. So they're built on techniques and methods from boot camp, which is you know 
really, really helpful. You're, that's when you start getting the idea of what it means to think parametrically and you know, putting mathematical rules in place and rationalizing your logic, right? Um, and then it also engages in this, this specifically engages with um, generative design and computational workflows. So this is where my, this is where my heart lights on fire. Like I get really, really passionate about um, this. So for me, boot camp was a huge learning lesson. Uh, that, and I would say January, which is emer- which is when emergence happened. So um, the biomimicry, design one, and then emergence. But for me at the AA boot camp and emergence were like game changers. Um, and I'll talk more about emergence. But before I do, um, there's biomimetics. And this is where um, Dr. Leaf really, really steps in, um, you know, like agents and um, that whole biomimic theory is what she really excels at. And so it was amazing getting to uh, work under her supervision and, um, you know, really leveraging uh, some of the tutor's knowledge on that. Um, Because biomimicry is amazing in terms of being able to dissect, um, you know, something that it something that is just natural behavior based off of group intelligence, <laughs> you know, which mm-hmm. kind of leads into like yeah. AI and so forth, but just being able to break down a social insect, their patterns, how they construct their nests, um, different, you know, and being able to quantify some of those to then generate a project is amazing. So for me, I think that was like the most mind blowing, something that was a little abstract for me to really wrap my head around, but I got there. We're good. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah. What is that Um, image of? um, It actually, so I pulled this from the MTech website and I'm not sure. So um, it kind of looks like a lobster tail, but not to undermine it by any means. Um, This, I'm sure this is just an experiment from some students work. Um, I also put Dr. Lee's contact information in the next slide. So um, for anybody who wants more information on, you know, like what is, what are the standards? Like what type of scores do I need? How do you grade um, per, uh, you know, like course, you know? Mm-hmm. Also something that was interesting for me is coming from the States, I feel like everything's very individual. You are graded based off of what you can produce and what you can communicate. Um, and so that's still the requirement at the AA, but you tend to work with partners. And so um, you can, again, you can just really, really develop your skill set by leveraging your partner's knowledge. So um, that project is probably a team project from Biomedics. And I, do, I don't know more about that project. But again, if anybody's interested in learning about that, um, I would just contact uh, Dr. Elif. So, yeah. But, and when you say, uh bootcamp and emergence was like very influential like is it it opened uh, like awareness about what are the possibilities or also like capabilities and like oh this is gonna be the future and i should dive deeper a hundred percent yes like it that i don't i like sorry i get so excited because (laughs) i i had no idea it existed and for me you know, you have kind of the umbrella of emergence, and then you have the structure, then you have the approach, and it's extremely complex. And so this is where um, CDM, which stands for Computational Design Method, came from. Um, it emer- des- 
there's so many factors to approaching emergence, which takes genetic algorithms, uh, multi-objective solvers, and so forth. And those, those two items alone requires a lot of technical knowledge. It also requires a lot of just design knowledge as well. Um, how do you determine what a phenotype is? How do you determine what a genotype is? What do you, you know, uh, and what, how do you even articulate that? And so um, the founders of Wallace C uh, taught us this. Um, and that was amazing. They were still finishing up their PhDs and um, to learn directly from them was everything. And I will never forget um, Dr. Mohammed Maki saying like, it's always going to take three conflicting criteria and that's a minimum, you know? And so within CDM, that is considered the project hypothesis because how do you approach design without being, knowing what you're trying to solve for? And a lot of the times in, in professional practice, you get your project metrics, you know, you have your client, you know exactly what the building type is and how much you have to put inside that building. Um, just put it very simple like um, obviously there's more complex situations or uh, projects but at the minimum that's what you're working with and so for me when I learned about emergence I was like okay this is it this is what I needed from the AA um, in, in addition to everything that came prior to that so uh, design one was uh, material or digital and material fabrication which was really really great um, the, the whole uh, studio came together and uh, multiple people pitched project ideas, um, a design was selected, and then we actually got to fabricate it. So um, in that, I got to work with uh, the Koopa arm. So we, and we always called it like dancing with robots. Um, and that was amazing because uh, we got to see how uh, to unfold or how to create curved geometry out of a flat uh, piece of material. And I think it was aluminum that we used, um, but then how to stiffen it and how to add um, strength to that sheet, you know, and then it became this gorgeous three-dimensional um, installation. And I just commend the, the members of MTech 2017 um, <laughs> uh, about, you know, just their willingness to explore and, and really test materiality. So um, using or leveraging the knowledge from design one, biomimicry, design technology, and bootcamp, um, I, I kind of felt prepared to have the conversation within emergence. So um, an emergence happened after we all got back from our holiday break over December. So January hit and they gave us a, the syllabus and it was literally the most hardcore four weeks of my life. I don't think I slept at all, but it wasn't because they told <laughs> us to, it was just because there was so much to learn and dive into that I couldn't stop. You know, it was just, it was incredible. Um, so within, within emergence, if you want to know more about that, um, they don't let you do the solver right away. You know, I feel like they were teaching a child to crawl, to walk, to, then to run rather than, you know, just like full on, like, okay, well, here's this thing that is brilliant and a product that we can, that can do this, uh, in a, in a smarter way but first we're gonna teach you how to do it. So um, we would set up all of the um, data analysis using Excel and we manually entered in every single um, data item uh, to, to come up with that uh, rubric. So, you know, how, how many phenotypes do you want and what are those parameters? Um, what is the genotype? So what are you actually creating? So um, they, I think the genotype was some type of uh, cup 
And then from there, you could you could adjust like the parameters, the height, the diameter. Um, there's multiple diameters, um, the stem, et cetera. And then from there, you would build out um, what it would look like if you started having different sequences and um, adjusting adjusting those parameters. And then at the end of it, you have this um, you have multiple design solutions that speak to those parameters. Um, and so that was just like the general understanding, right? And then the next step would be, um, how do you start integrating the, the project hypothesis? So um, it got a little bit more complicated. So the example you see here, uh, maybe an urban block, um, but you can start to think on a larger scale. You know, How do I create uh, a spatial organization based on minimizing you know, courtyard uh, square footage, maximizing um, interior daylighting, minimizing glare on like the south facade. And you can start to really layer in um, that data story. And so uh, that's where that bottom-up approach happens. And yes, you are looking contextual. So you have to do um, a lot of different research, which is which is where I get excited because that's where the process comes in, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're saying like, what is already existing? How do we improve um, the human experience with articulating where resources are? Or um, you're always solving for an extreme within emergence. So you have different biomes, um, which are like different regions across the world. So you can solve for desertification. Um, and for me, that's, that's always kind of hit home because in Southern California, we're always in a drought. We've been in a drought for, I think, half my life at this point. <laughs> um, and so I was always just really curious, like, how do you actually solve for that? Um, so I'll give a, a, I'll give a quick example in a moment. Um, but it was, emergence was absolutely incredible, and um, a lot of Wallace's uh, research is published on their website. So if you want to learn more about generative design and um, knowing how to set up a multi-objective solver, then um, they have a lot of recorded material and publications. So uh, they're a really good place to start. Um, there's a lot of great work out there. Um, I know that we were using Octopus for a little bit, which is also a solver, um, to be able to quantify the different uh, design objectives. But um, yeah, I, they're amazing. So I can't say enough about them. <laughs> I see. And, then, and I was just, mm -hmm. no, like, sorry, go ahead and. No, no, what were you going to say? I was just thinking, like, uh, there are so many new technologies being introduced in such a short period of time. So yeah. I, I was just, like, wondering, it might be overwhelming. And, like, and also, like, you see your colleagues, like, doing awesome work. And, like, yeah. also, like, someone starts judging, like, wait, there's. Am I in the right place? Like there's so many things going on. How can I catch up and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. And especially, I mean, when when using, I mean, for emergence, you're using a lot of open source data sets. So um, you need an EPW file to make it site specific because how else are you gonna test against your maximum minimums? Um, and then, uh, you know, like obviously we use Ladybug a lot and then Caramba and, you know, some of that, those, what I would consider like core plugins. Um, but you're right, like between me graduating in 2018, which I think I walked in 2019, um, to now, there's so much that's been developed. Like um, 
I, I, I know you interviewed uh, TestFit and, you know, that's revolutionizing our industry. And, you know, there's so many other, other systems that are leveraging um, programming and uh, computational design. So you're right. It's this constant, like revolving, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next. Um, and figure, but at the end of the day, what you want is something that is going to address what you're trying to do. You know, um, that's, that's also something that I absolutely love about parametric thinking is because it mandates that you commit to something, you know, I think it's so easy mm -hmm. to just kind of like sketch and, you know, do your thing. And then you come up with this building and you're like, cool, it's there, but why, you know, and, and that's where that parametric thinking really takes precedence because you have to lay out every step within computational design and setting up your pseudocode, which is the, which is like your recipe, right? So if you have a series of um, objectives and you're not sure what you're solving for, then that algorithm can go any way. And you're no longer leveraging um, that computational like tool. It's just doing, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're gonna get something. Yeah. It, it, you know, it might be soup, it might be a brownie, I don't know. Um, but again, it's just, I think that parametric thinking is like really, really important, which is where design two comes in. So that is an ecological urban design project that focuses on creating new experiments and system logics for um, sensitive settlements. And so I feel like this is kind of what catapulted my um, focus for the dissertation. Um, I wanted to be able to understand how you take um think like sensitive ecological so uh, like uh, socioeconomics um and be able to dissect what is actually happening in our communities and then integrate that into design and then prove it and show it you know what's happening um in 2020 2030 and 2050 um and then i think for projects that is a lot of um, content to deal work with. Obviously, people can project into 100 years and so forth based off of population growth and so forth. But um, really diving into the uh, human patterns and how people are inhabiting space and understanding the infrastructure of local ecologies is so, so important. Um, but what that requires is research. So in a moment, I'll show you kind of the process of what CDM is to be able to catalog all these really important moments to be able to build that story up specific to that location. Um, and so I just, I really appreciated this whole sequence. Um, obviously it's really thought, well thought out. They've been doing it since 2001, I think. Um, and it's, it's an amazing program. It really opens up your eyes as far as what is capable. Um, you're also having to do a lot of uh, like uh, readings and you're doing a bunch of case studies of like what the state of the art technology is now what are people talking about in the future how do you kind of get your hands on it um and so forth so uh also i wanted to show this because this is a snippet of what they gave us so obviously you can see this is back in 2017 this is my time this is not um you know a final product but um your your weeks are stacked and it, I always thought it was amazing that you started at 10 a.m because in the states classes usually start at like 8 a.m or 9 and then yeah. I don't know 
So I was like, I love, I love this culture. Yes. 10 a.m. starts, you go get a coffee and, um, and then you do your, your working sessions. You'll have seminars, you have a lunch break, you come back to, um, studio and you're there collaborating with others and really working through, um, whatever the, the, uh, courses. So this was for the first quarter, um, September, December, and, uh, your Fridays are kind of free, but you're expected to be in studio and you want to be in studio anyways, because everybody's working and it's super fun. And, um, and that's where a lot of the magic happens. But if anybody is interested, I put Elise contact at the bottom. Um, and she's now the studio master, uh, of MTech and she's incredible. So, uh, reach out and, um, give her, give her a call. Um, so sep or in September, like I ended up moving to the UK in August. Um, and just to kind of like get settled in. And then school started in September. A lot of that was reading. So you're, you were like, um, get becoming prepared to start with boot camp. So like, how do you rationalize geometry? And they give you a lot of literature to, you know, kind of dive in. So you, you at least knew what they were talking about. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was good. And then um, August of the following year, that's when the dissertation started. Um, then I presented in October and I think I slept for the whole month of November. <laughs> I was <laughs> exhausted, um, but it was, it was really great. And then I ended up walking June of 2019 and the AA has this private garden in front and that's where they host it. And you should have seen it. They created this like really beautiful, um, like topographical surface where they put a bunch of strawberries and champagne on and. It was just a, it was a really, really special celebration. So um, they treat us right. And, um, and, and at the end of it, you're left with a family. Um, I feel like I have connections literally around the world, Australia, London, so forth. And, um, and those are just uh, like genuine relationships that were harvest based off of common interest, you know, and a lot of that stems for, from being able to um, design for a reason, you know, and I know, and I'm not undermining any other, uh, practice or like ways of approach, but for me, that's what I needed to feel like I was, um, being responsible with what we have now. And there's a lot of technology. You just mentioned that. And then leveraging, um, how we, how you design great spaces, you know, so daylighting and wellness and, um, and then there's also so many other sustainable initiatives, you know, like the U UN sustainability goals, and there's 17 of them, you know, so try to tackle half of one, you know, once you get into all those different mm -hmm. goals, there's so much content and resources. And so we have a lot of responsibility as designers and creatives and constructors. And, um, and I think it's amazing that the AA really gives you a fighting chance at being able to speak at that level. Um, and so speaking of that, I became really, really fascinated with the idea of being able to take, you know, natural ways of heating and cooling. You know, these are very simple concepts, but I had no idea how to truly implement that into design. Um, even with, I mean, biophilia, you know, that's obviously trending. A lot of people are doing it and there's so many uh, scientific studies about it, but we know that it, it drops you know, temperature up to eight and a half Celsius. Um, and that's a lot. And so how the, I mean, even that 
little piece of information could really improve a plaza, a courtyard, you know, um, and help people in arid climates uh, have a better experience outside, especially if they have to be outside. So um, just being able to implement some of those, break it down um, as far as like what is indigenous vegetation versus not and doing that whole study. Um, and then understanding adiabatic to kadiabatic methods from land to sea and utilizing uh, cooling and even evaporative cooling. It's amazing, but you have to have the right pieces to be able to accomplish that. So having realistic, realistic expectations and really understanding your um, geography or your, uh, the location of the project is so important. So um, ultimately, what I wanted to do was know how to put these type of network and system to inform one another. And then using that technology as a catalyst to visualize this. So that's where, you know, doing a lot of the environmental simulations comes into play and so forth. Um, so this was a project that I did with uh, Alina. Um, she was an amazing partner at the, or during the MTech dissertation. She was also MSC. Um, and that's something that you have to do. You have to pair up with either MSC or MR, um, because that's gonna be your team that takes you through the end. So I did have the opportunity to, to work with Alina and we were interested in integrating uh, these, these systems. You know, I focused more on the role because I was so, that's where that theme entertainment came into place. How do you engage and activate um, public spaces uh, while responding to climatic problems? And so the, the top piece on the right is a plaza description. So we were we were considering different cooling options like the cooling towers and then creating some type of um, uh, canopies that ranged in porosity based off of uh, environmental information. So, um, and then how do you place that? So that's kind of the global scale. We pick different plazas and then we also pick different rural settlements that um, could help us harvest water. Um, and the site location was in Cyprus um, or Nicosia specifically uh, for the uh, urban part within Cyprus. And then we branched out a little bit further, but you know, using these two different systems and then integrating it as a whole. Um, the research kind of ended at this just because the time was so limited. So I think that um, there's a lot more that could be investigated, but uh, ultimately, I wanted to know, like, well, how do you place these cooling towers? Where would be the most optimized location? And so you're using um, Ladybug for uh, sh like shadow analysis to figure out where the hotspots are and then being able to articulate that based off of um, the values um, within the legend. And then at the end of it, you get something like this where um, you're you're understanding how many cooling towers you need, where the best location is, and then how you can integrate that with the existing fabric. Um, so that that really concludes my AA before I get into CDM, which is kind of taking these principles um, and stripping out the technical. We didn't dive like too far into how you would actually set up a pseudocode, what that, how you create something to respond to, um, you know, a, a architectural condition or problem or even an environmental problem, but I just kind of kept the high level. Um, do you guys have any questions before I kind of get into how I took what I learned at the AA and what I'm interested in now? Um, mainly on like, if you can talk about uh, 
what were the challenges in uh, this process and like how did you deal and went around it? Okay, so I think the problems um, like for specific to our dissertation, um, I think Alina had to like actually just buy the top topography because we couldn't find um, the, the satellite images for Cyprus. There's some like depending, I mean, we're, we're in a digital world, right? And it's still interesting to understand that some governments and locations restrict data access. Um, and so that's something that we came across. So not all data is always accessible. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. you have to get creative um, and sometimes, I don't know. Um, so that was one issue. I'm trying to think what else. Um, for me personally, it was just really being able to think parametrically at a high level um, because this isn't easy stuff. Like, yeah, it's just a canopy with three little towers, but it's more than that because it was, it breaks down um, contextual problems. It speaks to porosity. It talks about scalability using um, data. Um, and for me, that, that was exactly what I wanted to accomplish. Um, so I think it's just like harvesting that, that knowledge set um, and being able to use computational design to respond to it. I can't think of any other like hardships or um, mm -hmm. anything like specific at this moment. Um, but I think with speaking back to parametric design, it's so important when you're collaborating with a non-technical person or even a technical person to really flush out the ambition. Like you have to be fully transparent, um, especially on agenda. So if some if somebody is interested in um, creating a digital tool that solves a certain reason, really breaking down the process and understanding what the end product looks like is so important because you don't want to feel like you're just a glorified technician. You know, like we're more than mm -hmm. that. We want to be a part of the design process where we want to be a part of the design team. Um, and, and I think that really being able to have a common goal is like so, so important. And that's also where CDM comes into play because how do you, how can you talk about something that is so technical, so complex, that's considering so many different facets um, and then compile that all into this, this pseudocode, right? <laughs> it's very complex, but it's wonderful. Got it. I have a design yeah. question here, like, you said you calculated how like how many number of towers you have to put. So was it like based on the airflow or how did you like what yeah. type of vocabulary did you use for that? Okay, so oh, some of that. So I picked four different plazas. Those plazas were evaluated based off of existing context. So each of the plazas had different heights. Um, those range. I don't think I included that diagram, but those ranged from you know like. 10 feet to 20 feet to 30 feet. Um, so they were all low to mid-rise uh, buildings, but also there wasn't a lot of wind flow. So we did a CFD analysis, we did porosity analysis. The topography of those um, canopies were also articulated based off of um, heating and cooling and then optimal heights based off of um, the existing con condition. And so those were some of the parameters within um, solving for these plaza um, installations. 
And then also the angle. So like there's the, so there's two typologies happening. We have the surface and then we have the towers. So the towers you can see are oriented differently. The height and the, uh, the radius is different. And also the angle or the tilt on the top of the, the um, wind towers are different based off of um, daylighting, uh, wind, and, um, and just optimizing for, for, the, for getting the cooling down below. And also the heat to evacuate, like, um, leave the, the plaza. Because a lot of the uh, environmental conditions within Cyprus, there's, it's stagnant. So there's not a lot of wind movement and so forth. And so um, to generate, to help <laughs> in any way, uh, you can start to pinpoint those. So those were some of the factors to generate those two different systems that ended up becoming um, a, a single unit. Awesome. I, I, I'm now interested how you uh, use this thinking and translate it into profession. Yeah, um, it, and it definitely took a long time because um, when you come back from the AA, I feel like you're on fire. Not like, um, not like, not in a bad way, but you're just so passionate and you just learned so much. And it was a really intense year. Um, and then it's hard to quantify like how to integrate these type of design systems um, into practice, especially when maybe you're, you're coming back into a project that is at design development, they already, you know, feasibility, all of that has already been established, uh, square footage, and there's not a lot of room to um, start a project and go, well, what are the environmental conditions? And they're like, well, we don't care, you know, <laughs> get it done, you know? And so <clears throat> I think now um, with CDM, which stands for computational design method, there are certain things that architectural practice um, don't necessarily have. Maybe that's a lack of resources. You know, maybe they don't have a computational designer. Maybe they don't have that design technology. Maybe they don't have the time or the fee. Um, and then a lot of the times architecture is service-based, you know, unless you're in uh, like a really high-end design firm. Um, but at the end of the day, you have your bread and butter, you know what's going to be profitable, and um, and that's that's where we're at. So um, with that being said, though, you know, there's still very real things going on. There's um, a, a depletion of water, there's rising tides, there's extreme wildfires. I know that Australia just went through that. Southern California is constantly on fire, not even Southern California, all of California. Um, there's also catastrophic storms and declining biodiversity. And so if we don't have water and we don't have biodiversity, how do we eat? You know, how do you, uh, you know, there's just so many different factors and especially with our, um, the earth being almost 34 degrees hotter than it was back in 2010. You know, so within the past decade, we've had a huge increase in temperature. And I feel like these are some of the things that are so important to um, address. So that's where I came up with CDM. I wanted to know how does a designer propose an evidence-based design solution while addressing these socioeconomic criterion, as well as environmental climate conditions early in the design phase. So I understand that at the end of the day, we are service-based, we have to make a profit, there is time, um, people are billable, <laughs> et cetera. So that, that's a very real world scenario, but at the same time, how do we integrate 
um, some of these really big topics that are literally life-changing. Um, and what that looks like is a bit of computational design and a bit of data. Um, and I think that from there, what we can do is, um, is something like this. So this is CDM. And right now, CDM is in its infancy. And so what it is, it's a proposed evidence-based uh, workflow that guides a project team to organize multiple different criteria. So what you would do is you would start with your location and all the red boxes is like in, you can like type in there. Um, so you would say like where your site location is and the project type, because a lot of that will inform us if it's hot or cold, if it's going to be a hospital or if it's going to be a, a playground, like, you know, so you, we have to start with there. We need to know what we're dealing with. Then you get into the environmental risk assessment. So um, what are some things that are a concern to you and your team? And so maybe that looks like uh, temperature. We want to minimize temperature because we're in a really hot climate or if we want to maximize temperature because we're in a really cold climate. Um, is it hot and arid? Is it, uh, is it the desert? Are we in a tropical environment? Um, because if there's humidity, there's so many other things that we can deal or we can utilize in um, building systems. And then based off of all of those factors, we can start to orientate the building for optimization. So um, that will also help with um, heating, cooling, insulation, and so, so, so much more. Um, and then from there, uh, within your pre-design, you're running um, analysis, like solar analysis, outdoor comfort, energy strategies, both active and passive, um, different water catchment opportunities. And then um, the big one is embodied carbon. So actually at the AEC Tech, hackathon, I was on a team that created this tool. It's called ECEC. And what it does is it requires a designer to integrate, um, you know, wall types, floor structure, assembly, et cetera. And then you can actually articulate the window to wall ratio. So you have a flushed out building design, um, but it's more informative than, you know, a proposed design. So, um, trying to get designers to commit to that level of detail in the beginning of a project is really difficult because a lot of times they go, well, I don't know yet. And it's like, I know you don't know yet, but what is it gonna be? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> um, and so what you can do is you can start to build that data story going, well, based off of solar radiation, this is what, this is what you know, you're dealing with. Um, and these are, these are gonna be spots that are very uncomfortable. They're gonna be, um, too much light or there's not gonna be enough light and people are gonna feel sick or you know whatever it might be. And then you move into the second category or the third category, sorry, which is the data acquisition. So this is where um, previous experience and knowing where to pull the data sources from is gonna become um, you know, really important. So you're doing site analysis, um, topographical uh, studies like watershed, erosion, et cetera. Um, a lot of this is simulations. And then um, you incorporate all of your uh, chosen uh, environmental risk assessment. You can start to do a CFD analysis, which is understanding like where the wind's coming from, how to utilize that uh, best within your building for uh, passive energy strategies and then um, being able to target your temperature range. So that way, you know, seasonally how your building is gonna perform in winter versus summer. And then getting into the case study. So this is that research piece that I was talking about earlier. You have to do your research. Um, what is state of the art? What are net zero materials? What are um, some ways that people are improving life cycle uh, 
uh, you know, uh, projects and then also community impact. So what is important to that community? And, you know, it's not only bottom up, but it's top down um, and you're integrating both ways of thinking. And then, um, and then the fun part. So that's your project hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So you've done all of this work. You've done, you've done your due diligence and understanding what is happening in the environment, what's happening um, socially and within your community. And then you start based off of that factor, you can then say what your conflicting criteria is. So earlier I gave an example of, you know, like minimizing glare, maximizing daylight. Um, and there's so many other different configurations. So again, it comes back to where you're at in the world, what your what the design problem is, and then be able to speak about it in terms of um, parameters. And and the thing is, is this is where you can test your design against those that criteria. Is the building performing in a way that um, is going to minimize glare, or is it not? And how do you fix that? You know, it might become into a louver study or some type of terrace geometry that helps. Um, just naturally shade those environments or provide more uh, sunlight during the winter. Um, so it's really, really um, important to build your project up in this way. And it might seem like a linear fashion. So someone might be looking at this going, there's no way this will work because architecture is not linear. You know, it's very dynamic and um, it's not just the start here and here, then you have your product and you go home and you're done. Um, after you get to the project hypothesis, that's when the de design analysis is vital. Um, this is, and this also takes the longest amount of time because as you're going through and you're evaluating the different um, like optimal design solutions, you really have to test against all those factors you set out. Is this achieving, you know, uh, whatever one of the parameters is? Is it not? Then I need to fix it. And we can, then we can prove it. We can document that design um, change and then move on and correct for that instead of it just kind of being a little bit more loose. So um, ultimately, this is where CDM is. It's definitely in its infancy and there's so much room for growth. So a couple things that it's currently doing is you can assign digital tasks. So in the data acquisition and environmental risk and then the architectural on a team, what you could do is you could say, all right, well, we, we said that temperature um, you know, wind, wind analysis, and maybe another simulation is really important. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. And then we're going to come back to the team and uh, discuss our findings. So that's how you can start to divide and assign. Um, also decision tracking. I mentioned that if some of the design criteria isn't being met, you can, you can have a distinctive moment where you're going, okay, wait, we need to change something. And then that's where you can document it. Um, also, it's a communication platform. You know, so many of the time I felt like, okay, well, I thought we were doing this. And then overnight, maybe a client was like, never mind, I, I want this instead. And you're like, okay, well, we're going to switch gears, but that communication may have not happened. So um, CDM is also something that uh, the project team can use as a communication uh, way to document and, um, and really, you know, track those, those uh, moments. And then also an organizational tool. I did mention it's not a linear process once you, after you kind of do the start to finish, right? Because then you have to go back and um, you may be changing things. You, things may come up and you want to do different digital simulations. So um, those, those are what it's doing. Um, and then 
now what what we can do is develop it into further stages so um, the digital dashboard is kind of a two-dimensional pdf at the moment however i'm sure you can imagine that this could be like a full-on like cool digital platform um, where there's things that are emerging changing etc and that's how um, the design team can actually document it and then um, developing an application so you know that way you your client can see like everything that's being done those design uh, results and so forth so that way they can be a part of the story too um, cdm is is unique in the fact that it strips away the technicality that's required so we know what we have to do to be able to pull uh like daylighting and so forth but maybe they don't need to know they just need to know how their building is performing so it does strip away that technicality, but it also requires a lot of this knowledge to be already kind of pre-baked. Um, and then also it defines parameters. So sharing those technologies, the sequencing and so forth um, is, is something that you can share with your client or just even among your design team. And then future proofing, like you mentioned, there's so many technologies that are advancing now. Um, how can we document what's current, kind of uh, state of art or something that's evolving. Um, I know that even within pulling site context, there's so many different ways, but then you start to notice, okay, well, they've stopped developing that. So therefore the data that I'm pulling from it may not be relevant, you know? So you just mm -hmm. have to stay smart. You have to keep up with the times and so forth. Um, and that, that is, that's me. Um, that's what I've done. So my journey to the AA took me there because I wanted to understand networks and systems. I wanted to understand how you can quantify certain things and that all stemmed from um, hearing that one lecture from Dr. Michael Winstock about swarm theory, you know, and that specifically got me to where I am now. So I heard him give that lecture in 2011, or 2011 and now it's 2021 almost 2022. So it's definitely been a long journey. This isn't for me, at least it wasn't an overnight thing where I was like, oh, I get it all. Okay, cool. Um, it's definitely a lot of diligence in staying <laughs> true to it. Um, and you have to stay agile. You know, uh, that last piece of future proofing for emerging technologies um, is so, so important. So um, that's that. And that's how I, I came to put this whole CDM platform together. So that way, it spoke to some of the things that are so, so important as far as climate change and um, being able to address sustainable design within things that are, or like parameters that can be broken down and achievable. Um, we can have really big ideas, but if there's not a way to document process and then test it, then how do you, how do you do that? It's just a bit overwhelming. So um, that's it for me. Awesome, like incredible work and like, I must uh, admit, like you have done very holistic thinking in developing this whole workflow. You have considered all the parameters and the whole process. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you see, like, uh, on the implementation part? You mentioned about UI/UX. So yeah. my first impression when I saw it, like, oh, so is it like uh, once we input the project data and some site context? There are uh, parallel analysis will be running and we'll get uh, like uh, results at the end. Like, and uh, first like implementation and who are the end users here? Is it is it the project manager or is it a designer one or two who will be using? 
Yeah, I think, well, okay, because in a traditional architecture firm, those would be two different people, groups of people. But after coming from the AA and learning about, um, or just having a different approach to team dynamic, CDM is meant for everybody. Every, everybody on the team is there for a reason. They have a voice, they may have varying um, project experience, but at the end of the day, if they're not aware of you know, the bigger changes and the reason why, then I don't think that's fair, you know? And so the, the end user is the people who are, who are contributing to that design process. Um, as far as level of interactivity and how much they use it, obviously that's up to them. Um, but again, this could just be a tool that helps define those parameters and makes it easy. Like for example, Hypar is um, incredible. They're, they've stripped away the technicality and have been able to gift somebody the opportunity to be a part of the design and share that knowledge and be transparent in that and I shared those same values you know that transparency and be able to um, to have something that just exploits all of those systems you know it's very very difficult to visualize what's happening without those data sets and um, fortunately for us we have a lot of um, uh, avenues to to do that um, so that's that's who I would envision the users to be. Um, it's the team. And if we want, we can develop that further into handing that off as a product to a client um, and making them a part of the process as well. Because at the end of the day, they are paying us for a service. Um, but yeah. And then um, as far as, you know, dreaming of what this, this uh, dashboard is and, um, there, like you mentioned, it could become its whole I own IP where um, all these data, data sets are integrated into a, a single system. And then that way, anybody on the team can push and pull and, um, and be able to have access to, to what those parameters are solving for. So um, I'm really excited to see what happens in 2022. Um, as I mentioned, HMC is amazing and really thought leaders in the, the, um, the manner of pushing design technology and helping people do their job better and, and not better in a way because they couldn't do it themselves, but just to alleviate maybe redundant tasks or not being able to um, expose those, those, uh, those design goals. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be really, really fun. And I, I know you'll be a part of the, the journey. <laughs> be like beta <laughs> test it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm very excited to see how it grows and I was about to say that uh, maybe in the next hackathon we could tackle some part of it and get it out live and like make some interactive uh, workflow of basic analysis and like uh, real-time feedback yeah that would be incredible and that's the thing too is like how like on a team like how can you track those decisions while making it live you know so i i know that there it's going to take programming it's going to take some development and so forth but um i don't know if you're up for it <laughs> <laughs> let me know you have the vision <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. and definitely i was also thinking there are like uh, there might be opportunities of integrating speckle because every time you have, let's say, go through different stages of the project and you commit to your design, and then you can also trace back your design, what were some design uh, changes you made, which imp impacted a lot in terms of performance or cost, like all those like uh, human intuition could also be tracked. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, and and that's another thing is like CDM is not trying to replace what's already been done. You know, again, this is just giving a voice or some type of organizational method to address some of the bigger things that can be done through computational design. So as you mentioned, Speckle, Hypar, and there's so many other uh, creatives that have put put forth their due diligence and have created these amazing products for for our community. Um, and so I think you're spot on in, in that like this could definitely leverage that. Good. And as a design technologist, like, uh, can you walk us like how a day in your life looks like? <laughs> I don't even know. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, okay, so it's it's very, it's not like, um, because I mentioned, I come from a traditional architecture background. You get in at 7.30, you leave between six and 7.30, um, you do your hour lunch and you're just cranking out design drawings, right? And I personally love that, you know, like really getting in and articulating, you know, different assemblies and um, putting together the drawing sets and communicating through architecture. That was something that was so exciting, but now being um, a design technologist at HMC, uh, I have the opportunity to do a lot of different things. So um, one of my tasks right now is to translate a bunch of our Grasshopper scripts into Grasshopper players. So that way somebody who's not interested in visual programming um, can uh, still do parametric modeling in a way. Um, so that's like one, that's one scope. And then as you mentioned, uh, me and an incredible team at uh, HMC was able to put together the hackathon. So um, it's really a huge scale. Also, I got to work on a couple of design competitions. Um, you're helping teams uh, figure out different, um, like, or you're helping teams with automation, uh, digital visualization, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just, it, it's, there's a lot. And you're, you're also, you have the opportunity to uh, put together different white papers, attend conferences. Um, it's, you have to be very active and present. Um, so I think it takes a certain type of person to want to do mm -hmm. this. Because um, it's not, you're not sitting at your desk, <laughs> cranking out drawings, um, which it, that's not a bad thing, but it, it, that's just a, a different mindset. You know, you're there to produce, get it done. Um, make the best product you can and be and be able to express the what the client wants um but this this take i don't know it's just a, a different different uh energy <laughs> yeah you you always need to be like keep up with the trends and what's going on in the industry what's going in research yeah. anticipate what you can integrate in your firm which can like streamline the workflow or also like increase adoption yeah and i i was thinking like so in college, like uh, we have a different perception of how many, how much of the industry is using grasshopper and technology. Once you get into industry, it's whole another perspective. Yeah. And one of the challenges, like even if you develop something, how do you ensure it's robust and it's scalable enough that everyone uses this? So like yeah. there are two parts, like uh, first of all, awareness about that tool and technology and also encouraging or motivating uh, them to adopt it. So how do you deal? Yeah, and that, that's a huge part of our job is um, facilitating uh, certain people who are really good at doing certain things, right? So a lot of it is listening. 
You have to take a step back. It is not about you at all. It is totally about them and making sure that the project is getting what it needs. And so facilitating the right person, kind of the either the thought leader or um, the expert, and then um, being able to just go here, here's an actual product. This is how we can solve for whatever the product or whatever the issue might be. Um, and then uh, communication. So uh, we have a new digital practice manager and he's absolutely incredible. And we're gonna do this whole roadshow next, next year. And that means going to different each, each office and saying like, hey, this is what I'm passionate about. Um, in addition to that, this is how we're serving the company. This is how we can serve your teams. And um, not that they're clients because obviously they're, they're, we're all colleagues, right? Um, but it's almost, it's almost in a way of going, okay, I know this may not be a typical thing in your workday, but if you have this problem, then this is how we can solve it. Um, and a lot of that is visual programming or coding or whatever it might be on the back end. And then, and then you uh, can show, like, I think, I think demoing, showing the value of it and then how they can use it, if you can make it really simple uh, not because they can't handle it, but just because usually project teams are stressed out. They're on extreme deadlines. They're having to work triple time. Um, so you need to respect that as well. So it can't just mm -hmm. be like, here's this tool and I'll learn it. It's going to take you six months. You know, it's like, no, that cannot be the case. Um, so again, just communicating and um, really advocating for this. I think also the value um, as humans, like even, even us on this call, like why would I try this new thing? You know, I already know how to do it like this. Um, even us, like we need mm -hmm. to know the value of it and how it's going to help leverage um, what we're interested in. Totally uh, agree with your point. And I, I'm curious to know your thoughts is like one way to increase adoption of your tool is top down or bottom up. Like you can force and ask senior, like have everyone use this system sustainability tool in every project in your studio or you go to the junior designer or oh, it's going to save a lot of your time it's make your it's going to make your design healthy and better so but yeah. oh, and then the junior says i don't have time or like uh, there's friction somewhere else so how do you deal with that yeah that was not something i was expecting coming out of the aa i'm like yes we can do all this and then exactly what you described there is friction and there's uncertainty and you know what's the credibility of this method and how do i know this is actually gonna help me so that way i don't look ridiculous in front of my client when it's just a gimmick <laughs> you know it's like how mm -hmm. so anyways um sorry tangent <laughs> um that's it that's not something that i expected and so i think coming back to the credibility and just going okay well we can we can do um, we can solve it using this way. And I think you mentioned something else that um, was really interesting as far as how, how to adopt. Um, I think that's persistence. And I think it is coming from a point where you can make it um, in alignment with what they're doing. Because if you're going, hey, are you interested in daylighting? And they're like, no, we're interested in um, this whole like cool wall installation, you know? So I think it needs to be relatable. I think it needs to be simple in the terms that it it's um easy easy to understand and that's something that i really value about hyper's work is you know it's it's the dashboard itself you can it's sliders you know anybody mm -hmm. can do that you know it doesn't take a certain um it doesn't take technical knowledge to be able to do that especially with um all social media 
there's there's very few people in or at least somebody who'd be working with somebody in our industry who hasn't had access to social media so even with that in that there's polls and there's you know there's different things that are maybe familiar digitally that we can leverage too so i think it's that ux ui um, factor where you're improving the their experience but you're also making it easy to handle right so um i think it's a long journey too um by no mm -hmm. means have i figured it out but just being just listening and being present and understanding like why is there resistance or why um did this tool not meet their expectations or um it wasn't something that they could use just like on the day because they they were already moving to the next project because that deadline's happening yesterday you know something like that so um, i think it's a very long journey but that persistence and just that constant communication is is vital um, and yes, targeting the junior designers, you're like, we're going to be friends. <laughs> Help your PM <laughs> understand that by doing this, you just saved five hours, you know? Um, I mean, even automating sheets and Revit, there's so many different things and it doesn't necessarily have to be designed, you know, because every process for that is designed, you know? Um, that's also something that was a shift in my thinking um, because something that I have to do is, um, visualize what I've done, you know, so in architecture, you're just putting in hours, whereas for as a design technologist, I need to quantify what I'm doing. And so it needs to be measurable. And I need to be able to say, listen, this is what I did. And, um, and so kind of getting into like Airtable and Power BI and um, that I didn't understand the value of it when I started it. And that was, you know, not, not too far <laughs> away. Mm -hmm. But um, but now I have a total respect because even in that is design, you know, um, and the way you communicate it. Again, it's all comes back to that data storytelling. Um, so pretty much I just love it all. It, it's all great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I tweeted uh, uh, earlier that there are so many uh, tools like Power BI and like business analytics part, yeah. which generally we don't get to discuss in school. like. And there's a lot of value we could provide and like just like start to end and what the what is the client interested in how can we provide more value that's going to drive a whole another workflow change and like things like that yeah no definitely and i think I, I, yeah i couldn't agree more yeah are there any ideas you wish you could work if you had unlimited time and resources Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, wait, so is that specific to developing CDM or what do you mean? Any other like open, like. Hmm. Um, yes, but I think, I think that CDM kind of summarizes my deepest passions within architecture and it comes back to serving people, making our communities better and then being transparent in the type of information that we're using. And then how that informs how to solve for the first two items. So um, right now my head is like really, really in that space of like developing it and dreaming of how this can be and how teams can use it and um, and just having these type of conversations to get insight on maybe what you think and um, and your experiences and how to integrate um, some of those important like important options to this because at the end of the day it's for you. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. That's a really, really big question though. I don't know. I, 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'll keep you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to wrap up this interview with the rapid fire round. So you'll have only five, 10 seconds to answer it. Okay. And got to keep it brief. So okay. let's do this. Uh, right. Which city is in your travel bucket list? London. Uh, your favorite movie? I'll say Corella for now. Okay. Any technical or business uh, book which made a big impact in your life? Uh, the the emergence book. Uh, your favorite building? Oh gosh. Anything by Leapskin. Um, and your role model? Oh. My dad. And. Lastly, uh, is there anything else which we didn't cover in this interview and you would like to share? No, I think this was amazing. Thank you so much for the opportunity just to speak about things that I think are important, things that I think are exciting um, and so forth. You both are incredible. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Brittany, you for your amazing. time. <laughs> <laughs> and please keep smiling. You look very good in that. <laughs> oh, thank you. This, this stuff makes me happy. So, yeah. Okay. All right, Brittany. Yeah, uh, we, I had a great time. And thanks a lot for sharing your journey and thoughts. And uh, we hope uh, we see the CDM launch very soon and we get to beta test it. So let's see. All the very best. Thank you both. Thank you.